welcome to the Special Strength Fitness Podcast, where we break down the psychology, fitness, and nutrition strategies you need to know to successfully transform your life. In today's episode, I get to talk to Fatima Lee Garci, also known as FLG in her community at large. Uh, she is a fitness coach based out of Toronto, who I have had the pleasure of working with in the past, and I've been looking forward to having a quick interview with her to talk about all things fitness. Uh, she owns a gym called Sister Fit in Toronto. And the conversation that we had was so insightful because we got into a lot of different areas and a lot of different topics, including how she came up, uh, what was her life experience that led her into fitness, uh, what has she experienced being uh, an athlete and a coach in the fitness world, and what are some of the ethics that coaches need to need to have in this day and age to make sure that we're doing the very best we can for our clients. There's a lot of jam-packed information in this conversation that I cannot wait for you to hear. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Okay, awesome, guys. So today we are joined by Fatima Ligarsi. She is the head coach and the owner of Sister Fit. Uh, I've had the privilege of watching her in action myself when we used to both teach uh, slash coach at the kickboxing gym that I basically trained out of at Warrior Muay Thai. And I'm very happy that uh, she has agreed to join us today and share her expertise and knowledge. So welcome to the show, Fatima. I appreciate you coming here. Thanks a lot, MTS. Appreciate you. Uh your um, platform and inviting me on today. Awesome. So, uh, I mean, it's been a little while since we've kind of talked to each other. I think you said about five years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Uh, as you said, you know, it life does. happens. What have you been up to over the last five years? Oh, <laughs> it's more like what haven't I been up to? Um, a lot. You know, I, I opened this gym um, in 2019. Uh, and prior to the gym, you know, I was, I was, um, Living in uh, North York, I had a private home studio there. I was um, uh, also um, developing this program in the community in um, various community centers and mosques. Uh, and then I decided that uh, we needed to um, be serious about it and have our own uh, physical location. So then, you know, finding the space and uh, this place actually used to be a dump a real dump. And so, really? uh, renovating it. Yeah. It was actually like, um, uh, I guess it was called puffs. I think it was like a dispensary, but, um, it was just really, uh, unkempt and, uh, we had to do a lot of work on it to, to make it, uh, bright and inviting and, um, exactly how I wanted it. So yeah, that process took, um, took a little while. And before we get into the gym, because I'm really interested in how you kind of built that business, right? One of the things I'm very curious about is how do you build a business catering it to your specific market? And we're going to get into that. I'm really interested in getting into your story, right? Where did you start? When did you first get into fitness of any sort? And how did that progress through your life that brought you to this point? Okay, I'm going to try my best to keep this not super, super long. But basically, I guess it started when I was... Five, actually, I was, um, you know, being bullied at school, and my mom was like, "We're gonna put you into martial arts." I, oh, I didn't almost swore, but I didn't. I really hated it. Uh, it was a very abusive environment uh, for like six years. I used to pray to God that we'd get in a car accident on, on the way there. It was just wow. It was horrible. It was humiliating. Um, they used to call me a fat slob in front of everybody. I was just a kid. Ooh, kids are um, mean. Take me by the collar and like 
threatened to throw me down two flights of stairs. They're very abusive towards me. And uh, I couldn't really verbalize exactly what was happening to my mom. And she didn't actually give a, a fook. Okay. <laughs> she didn't actually care because she was more like a tiger mom at that time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's an Asian term for moms who think that by being, uh, I guess, really hard on the child or neglecting their emotional needs, it's going to build up a resilience. And it did, it did, but you know, it was, um, it was hurtful for me. It really, it really scarred me emotionally. And so, um, anyways, I eventually, uh, I stopped because someone outside my family told my mom that I was being horrendously abused. Um, and then I stopped and then throughout my teens, because I had such a traumatic childhood, I, um, got into all sorts of, um, stuff, you know, um, had a major opiate addiction, mm-hmm. uh, used a lot of drugs and, uh, just trying to numb myself, really numb all the pain, uh, that I had experienced and couldn't verbalize. And then, uh, actually when I was 19 or 20, I went to a Muay Thai gym and it was so challenging for me physically. It was like exactly what I needed to kind of, um, I guess, uh, just really make me be present in the moment and really feel myself in my body and, uh, give me my, I guess at the, at the beginning, you know, I was, I thought it was all about aggression. I think most people start training in, in combat arts, wanting to thinking it's about, um, beating, beating somebody up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, lot a lot of, of people go into it with that mentality. Yeah. So that's, that's how I started out. And then slowly I realized it was a lot more than that. And that actually gave me so much confidence, uh, the confidence I needed to really get my life together. And so I went actually to Taiwan and, uh, I was very uh, isolated. There it was a very uh, tough experience for me the first year, not knowing the language and, uh, not really having any money in my pocket. And on top of that being <laughs> on the, uh, the, the tip of the Island in the boonies, so it was, wow. it was the, <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Uh, when you said uni, you were growing up getting bullied. Was that in Toronto? No, I was in Kitchener, Waterloo. So it was a predominantly wow, okay. conservative white, um, smaller city. And, wow. uh, I don't know if you grew up in Ontario, but you know, in the nineties and, you know, eighties, two thousands racism and, uh, homophobia and all that was, was really in style. You know, I remember that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was very much in style. So it was just like, I, I mean, it, you wouldn't even believe how much I was bullied in high school. I mean, whole the whole school would just shout at me <laughs> in the cafeteria I, I, every day after school. Busloads of kids were just shouting at me, throwing garbage at me. Um, <laughs> so that's incredible. Yeah, I had a lot of yeah, I had a lot of pent up aggression, you could say. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I wanted to keep this short. Um, anyways, in, in Taiwan, I, uh, I, I, I thought I was going to be a professional fighter. 
right? That's quite a so choice. I, put- I mean, I, I've got to say, I, I've, I've had the privilege of being around a lot of people who wanted to do the same thing. And that's no easy decision, right? It's not, but it's also an, an addiction in, in another way. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you have yeah. to spend every single, like, you cannot stop thinking about that, that career mm-hmm. choice because it's life or death when you get into the, the ring, right? You have to be prepared. Absolutely. And that's why I don't fight anymore. I have actually suffered a major concussion uh, twice, actually, but a really major one about five years ago. I think God was just telling me that it's not the career path for me. Anyways, um, I basically almost died in Taiwan. And uh, then I came back and um, was very traumatized still and uh, decided to open a gym in Kitchener with was probably one of the dumbest things I've done, to be honest, because I had no marketing experience. I didn't understand the fitness world, didn't understand how to run a gym. And on top of that, I was unwell. So um, it was it was really difficult. And um, so after two years, I decided to go back to Taiwan because I felt like uh, I I didn't I didn't uh, I felt like all my efforts were were unvalidated. I wanted to go and show that I was a real fighter and all this stuff. Right. And it just didn't work out for me. And so I came back here and I. Um, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get experience in the fitness world. I moved to Toronto, worked in a whole bunch of different places. Um, didn't like it. I never liked the industry. I thought it was done in such a fake way that really made people feel like crap and really Mm -hmm. played on their vulnerabilities and, um, was only kind of adhering to a particular way of thinking or culture. Um, And if you couldn't adhere to that, then, you know, you don't deserve this lifestyle. Right. And that's how a lot of um, these um, gym jerks or coaches operate from a place of superiority. Yep. Um, And that's just mind boggling to me. We're here to help people and make them feel better about themselves. And there's people out there saying, oh, if you can't adhere to this diet or train every day, then you know, go big or go home. Like what, what is that? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. So, well, that's the, that's the interesting thing that I found as well in my experience that when I was coming up as a young coach, as a young trainer, you know, I'd gone through the certifications and whatnot, and I was building my experience set. You could see everybody was doing the same thing that you just talked about, right? They, they make you feel bad. So you feel like you have to rely on this specific diet or program or whatnot to get in shape or that getting in shape meant looking a certain way or, or that's what health meant. And then as you mature, you realize that, wait a second, the fundamentals of, you know, your health hasn't changed since human beings came on this planet. That has never changed. It's just how we deliver it in the marketing of it. So why are we being told that this is only the one way to do it? Yeah, for sure. And even as a coach, I, I actually felt really um, like I didn't belong just because of, you know, when the, the images of trainers are so like, they all look like bodybuilders, all ripped, right? right? That's yeah. never be my physique, nor will I ever want to present myself that way. Right. So I just never liked anything about the whole industry. I just thought it was very flawed. And so our model is a bio psychosocial model. So it takes into consideration someone's biology, their genetics, then their psychology, their cultural background, um, their emotional state, 
and then how they relate in the society around them, um, which is what our gym is about. And I actually think that um, the whole fitness industry should operate that way if they, uh, you know, really want to connect deeply with people because um, people are going to the gym to work on an, on some sort of identity, to work on who they are, right, and their self-image. Um, and if you can incorporate or understand what that means to that person and take into consideration their background, their sensitivity, and their cultural issues, then you're actually separating a part of them. You're asking them to um, either become someone who they're not or to leave some part of them at the door before they come in. That's such an insightful way to look at that because, uh, and and I feel like we're walking the same path as coaches. I, I tell this to my clients all the time, you know, you're not just your body, right? There's more to you than just how you look or how you appear to people. There's more yeah. to that aspect, the psychology, like you said, the genetics, the background. I find that fascinating that, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at the entire spectrum of coaches that are out there now, you and me included, you have the extremes, which is, you know, the bodybuilding types, right? That's a very specific niche. It's not yeah. healthy for you, but it's great for that specific competition type. Yeah. And then you have the other extreme where nowadays in modern times, you have these people who are advocating that being fat is okay, that it's healthy. And I hope <laughs> it's coming across what I'm talking about here. Like, you know, those oh, positivity, body positivity and, and those yeah. advocates. And I think that's the other extreme where they're saying, no, it's okay as you are, as if you don't need to change. When no, objectively, we, you and I, we both know objectively, if someone's carrying extra body fat, it's not great in the long run. Yeah, I think it's being fake. I think that's really fake mm -hmm. to kind of self-soothing way of, of I don't know, this weird form of self-love um, mm -hmm. that is very trendy right now. It's just opposite ends of the spectrum, right? But um, I, I also believe in a, a, a form of body positivity. Um, mm -hmm. where I don't think that, uh, like there's no images of, of like scantily clad women right. on, on our walls or some sort of ideal physique that we have. And, uh, because naturally like women are supremely self-conscious and are mm -hmm. very, um, you know, body shape is one of our vulnerabilities to be compared or to be, to feel like, you know, we're not good enough based on the way that we're shaped. So, um, I do promote, um, like, um, you know, looking at yourself positively and I'm not gonna, uh, I will allow them to tell me what they want to do with their bodies. I'm not going to tell them what I think they should do. I let that come from them. Um, right. and that's to me being, you know, um, body positive. And and how did you end up there in your own journey? I mean, I'm sure you've had to find that for yourself, that understanding that I need to define this health and fitness thing for myself and not just have somebody else tell me what I'm supposed to look like or feel like or perform like. How did you arrive at that journey for yourself? Actually, when I first started Sister Fit, I that's when I really felt super comfortable because um, of the the modesty and the dress code. And people aren't expecting me to dress a certain way and no one wants to dress that way. And no one really, um, there's this, I, I think that's really healthy for women actually to not go around in sports bras, especially trainers. I know some people find that inspiring, but truly is it, 
I mean, it's not very relatable. Who who look, really looks like that? And the women that actually are overweight and are self-conscious and need to move, look at that and feel like crap, truly. Exactly. Absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, like, I find it to be super irresponsible, uh, the fitness industry and these coaches, knowing that women feel this way, to dress like that in front of them. Um because they feel good about what they have accomplished for themselves and just kind mm-hmm. of um, dangle it in front of everyone's face. Look at me. You're not like me, but you could be like me. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's a uh, very irresponsible and uh, I think it should change. I agree. And, and you know what, that's not just exclusive to women only. Uh, the, the fact is we see it more when women do it, but men do it all the time in the industry, right? I, I myself have experiences where at, you know, martial arts gyms where I've been training, you'll see yeah. that one guy who's jacked and shredded all the time, right? And whether he's by natural means or by supplements yeah. or special supplements, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's irrelevant to the conversation. But the point is, you, you see everybody look up to that guy. And they say, oh, man, I want to look like that. So I'm going to put myself in this position and train extra hard and put myself in sparring situations, which they're not suitable for. And they end up getting hurt and injured and completely fall off that journey altogether. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it sets an unrealistic expectation. And I think it's such a toxic thing to do, especially I'm, as a professional coach. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's so strange to me. It's a smoke and mirrors thing, right? When really... There, you can't have more, you can't be more real than in a place like a gym where you're there to work on who you are and your identity. And, you know, I think in Western, um, the way we think of our bodies in the West is that our brains and our bodies are separate. Right. Right. And you just go to the gym and pump iron and go home. And that works for some people. It do- definitely does, but it doesn't work for the majority of people. So um, there's a problem there. And you know, the way we think about, you know, if we think about, uh, martial arts in the, um, Eastern cultures, their culture is infused in their art. Look at, uh, Muay Thai. That's almost like a religion to Thai people, you know, mm-hmm. Filipino martial arts. That's very much a cultural practice and Taekwondo and all those, um, Chinese arts and even Indian martial arts, their whole, um, their culture is very much, uh, infused with their, um, with their physical practice. Right. And so the, I think there's more of an understanding of, of really infusing identity and a ritual and really honoring your body and everything kind of, um, being very interconnected. And that's a real, I mean, the difference between, you know, Western and Eastern uh, philosophies, where here again, and when I think about martial arts in the West, there isn't really anything except for boxing, right? Boxing is very much a, a Western mm-hmm. sport. And you've got wrestling in the States, those two. Yeah. But what are, like, what kind of, what kind of sport is boxing? It's a form of ego, right? Yeah. It's all about the self. And it's a very much like culturally boxing is it's all about showing off and and ego. It's a very different um, thing. So I think that Western as people in the West, we're very much fixated on smoke and mirrors and ego. 
And, and, you know, that segues perfectly into what I wanted to ask you next is uh, obviously living in North America, the fitness culture nowadays, it's at an all time high. Everybody's talking fitness. Everybody wants to be fit. We see it everywhere across media, but we've identified, okay, this is what's wrong with the industry so far. So in your, you know, educated experience opinion, right? Cause you've been in this industry for a while now. Mm-hmm. What needs to happen now? Where do we go from here to make a positive change in direction? Yeah, I think people, first of all, I see a ton of people who think coaching is easy. It is not. It mm-hmm. is, it's an art and a skill. And I see a lot of girls, especially, and guys too, but, you know, especially with the girls, they think you, you lose 10, 20 pounds. Now you can be a coach and a trainer. <laughs> you know, I see a lot of girls do that. They have absolutely no certification, no experience. They lost 20 pounds on Instagram showing their butts in the air and all this stuff and come train with me. I can, you know, it's it's a real joke. It's a real joke. And it really pisses me off because it, it dilutes the professionalism and the quality of what personal training is and what coaching is all about. So people need to, to finally tune their listening skills because coaching is not, has nothing very little to do with you, right? It's really about serving others. If you can't listen to what people are telling you, then you're really missing the mark as a coach. And I think what's happening in in our culture and society now is that people are very wounded. People are very depressed. People are suffering a lot emotionally and are uh, unhappy more than ever, especially with this pandemic. So why would we make it even harder for people? Why would we make them feel um, like they're unworthy by these images or um, uh, make them feel like they're not good enough right now. Uh, I think we really need to meet people where they're at. And I think that um, people need to, as a, as someone who would be interested in fitness, I would encourage those people to really do their due diligence in researching the coach and make sure that they're an absolute professional. This, this is a topic that's so near and dear to my heart. And, and I, every time I talk about it, I feel like I can go on for hours about it because I'm a very analytical person. So when I see these things on Instagram, I start analyzing, okay, what's the point of that exact post that they put out there? You know, they're, they're pointing their butts in the sky with like skin tight, <laughs> whatever they're wearing or not wearing. What's the point? And you're exactly right. It says, right on you come train with me, you know, six day detox or whatever else they're selling at that time. And it frustrates me because like you said, you're spot on. It dilutes the profession. You know, like I said, we're on a spectrum here and and you and me, I believe are trying to be somewhere in the rough middle. So to, so to say, we're trying to serve people in a most, more holistic manner, Right. but it takes it away because what those people do, the Instagram influencers, I'll call them is they start using a higher rate of marketing is what I call it. They market a lot more than we ever do and market with things that are biologically attractive to us. Mm -hmm. You're going to see somebody that's wearing less clothing. You're going to be attracted to it, whether male or female, right? right? You're going to see somebody moving suggestively. You're attracted to it on a biological level. That's not something we choose. We're, We're actually programmed that way, right? Yeah. So when I see people using that to sell something and the program they're selling or whatever pill potion they're selling is also absolute garbage, it infuriates me. And that's actually funny enough why one of the reasons I came back to this industry, I mean, we haven't spoken in a while, but 
I took a good two and a half years off this industry. At the height of my, you know, professional achievement here, I was ready to switch out of my full-time job and do this full-time, you know, coach clients full-time. I was making almost double the money doing this and I was happier doing it. However, I realized that one, um, I was beyond stressed out myself because I didn't understand how to handle that kind of workload at that time. So I had some growing up to do. And second, which was a big reason for me is I found myself drowning in this market of people who just market their bodies and, and, and less clothing and all this nonsense. And I kept thinking, man, I have zero marketing knowledge or skills. I don't know what to do. I know how to coach people. I know how to talk to somebody, understand their situation and help them get where they need to get. But I have no idea how I compete with someone who's taking their shirt off at every picture, every moment, smiling in every picture as if they never have a bad day. Right. right? So I, I took two, two and a half years off, but then the more I just kind of watch from the sidelines as I improve my skills, the more I realize, man, like we have a responsibility to step in because our voices, as small as they may be, need to be heard because there are people out there who need to hear our voices, understand, oh, hold on a second. This is not just what fitness is, this Instagram world. There's more to it. There's actual people trying to help other people. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it is um, very frustrating. And I'm, I'm, I, I try not to even look at, I don't even follow influencers or idiots on whatever, Chloe Ting, whoever oh she my is. God. <laughs> think Chloe Ting is not a Ting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, and I really want to ask you, you know, you started Sister Fit and I know how difficult it is to start a business. Before I ask you about Sister Fit, yeah. I want to ask you, I know for a fact you've, you know, coached at a gym where majority of the ownership or management was a male ownership slash management, right? Mm-hmm. Most yeah. gyms, most businesses in the fitness world tend to be male dominated. And most there's always of a guy with who's bald, by the way. Yeah, it's always a guy. So I have to ask you, as, as a woman, how did you navigate those waters? What was your experience like? And, and what did it teach you when you went over and started your own business? Okay, first of all, all those guys were tremendously insecure. Mm-hmm. And taking steroids. Okay. <laughs> Don't I know it? Yeah. Very, uh, very narcissistic and very insecure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that a lot of people go to the gym to because the they're insecure, right? Mm-hmm. Just like me, I went because I was insecure, and they they think they can they can uh, build a wall with muscles and appear to be all fixed and uh and strong right but on the inside emotionally very immature and extremely insecure so i did butt heads a lot Mm -hmm. um with my quote-unquote bosses for example uh i would have like a face-to-face meeting and i thought it was fine and then i'd go on facebook and then he'd write all this you know post about me but not using my name just like Wow. Not having the guts to really speak to me, uh, you know, say things to my face. And that I, uh, I found that to be the case with, um, you know, the majority of my, my bosses, especially as a, I think as a woman, um, maybe they feel, I don't know, some sort of way uh, about my voicing my opinion um, or, or, um, voicing my expertise or showing them my professionalism, I feel like they find it to be threatening um, in some mm-hmm. sort of way. Um, yeah, so I did. I mean, I, I never really stayed very long at any 
particular uh, gym or organization. And aside from that, just I even work for Good Life and LA Fitness. I walked out of LA Fitness on day two. I thought it was so freaking weird. And Good Life as well. I went to the make you go to this training camp and it's all sales. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with. And I understand the sales part is very important, but it was just so fake. It was just incredibly fake. And same thing as, you know, in LA Fitness, the you know, the sales team would like, we're just like snorting cocaine and, um, yeah. you know, just, I don't even know what, what else they were doing, but obviously a lot of people were taking steroids and, you know, that, that's not, you can't, you can't, you can't be, you can't be fake. I'm just, I'm, I'm fake phobic, you know, mm-hmm. like one of, one of my bosses gave my client who was brand new to training a bunch of steroids. Okay. Oh, man. And I was training her and I was noticing like, how come you're never sore? Like you're new. I was like, you know, giving her some really difficult things. And then she was breaking out pimples and all the stuff. And I was like, is there something you want to tell me? And she's like, okay. Uh, so yeah, Ernesto's Ugh. been giving me steroids. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, oh, are you serious? Oh my God. It's just, it's, it's crazy. The things that people will do to appear a certain way, you know, it's just, it, it really reveals that we're such, we're a culture driven on appearances and superficialities. And that just, it's just completely, it's a disease. It's a real disease. And unfortunately uh, we perpetuate it. We, we feed into it, you know, because it works, we're vulnerable. And, and, you know, I've got to say, uh, that's something that I, I agree with so much that we need to change this culture. Like, it's not healthy for anybody. And for, for me as a coach as well, you know, uh, oftentimes, and you can probably relate to this, I've often felt like I'm on an island because I feel like I'm speaking about something that people don't care about because they're looking at Instagram or these steroid freaks or what have you. Yeah. So I did my research and this is one of the reasons why I was so interested in talking to you and not just because I've seen you in person and seen what you've done with SisterFit, yeah. but I've observed how your your organization, I'll call it that, how your organization functions when you're not the one you know po- posting social media and how the people who you are in charge of behave and they act. And it's been amazing to see that the culture that you've been alluding to all this time that I want to get into next, um, mm-hmm. the people who are working with you on this mission yeah. are on that same path and they bring aspects to it from their own backgrounds, which I, I remember sending a message to your uh, your Jim's Facebook messenger saying, I love that thing you guys just posted. Just, I, I was stunned by something that they posted recently. So it, it speaks to me and, and encourages me to know that you know there are other coaches out there who are trying to do the right thing. You know, we may not hear about them all the time because they're not shouting the loudest, but they're yeah. doing the right thing. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's important to carve out your own niche. And um, you know, working in the Muslim community, there's also it's not a monolith, right? There are communities mm-hmm. within the community, and mm-hmm. not everyone will like what we do. Some people will criticize. Some of our coaches were, for example, yoga pants. Some people will even criticize that. So, like, I mean, it's important to know what you want to do, what you're about, and stick to it hard and let it slowly take shape. And no shortcuts, just like it with your health, with your business, it's the same thing. You know, the ones who can stand the, the test of time are the real ones. Um, build their business slowly, carve out a niche, 
and really build a community that way organically and through trust uh, and through relationships. Um, mm-hmm. That's where you can actually make an impact and a difference in the community and in the, the life of an individual. And I want the listeners to kind of understand uh, what your gym, Sister Fit's all about. So if you could take us through that journey of how you decided it's time to open my own gym, how you figure out this is the culture I want, and what that whole process was like for you. Yeah, so Sister Fit is um, a community-driven gym for Muslim women. And um, like I said, um, you know, Islam is not a monolith. So there's a lot of different... um, there's so much diversity within um, people who identify with that religion. And within that, um, there's, there's something that we can all, um, uh, all uh, agree upon, which is we want to dress modestly and we want to um, have a lot of self-respect. We want to respect our bodies and try our best not to compare um, ourselves and be in competition with each other. So that's really the root, a big foundation of, of, uh, our, um, culture here and that we're extremely welcoming when we don't have sexualized images of women, um, in any of our messaging in any of our, um, social media posts, it's really, we take a really deep health approach. Mm-hmm. And that's also something that is within our faith. And that is the, understanding that everything is very interconnected. So we have our emotional health, our psychological health, relational, um, existential, and Mm -hmm. um, what else? Um, Spiritual. There's many different elements that make someone truly well. And so we don't believe in separating um, one from the other necessarily, even though we do obviously focus um, very much on the physical wellness here through movement. Uh, we understand that, um, you know, for example, if there was a, a coach who was dressing um, half naked, how would that affect the girls here psychologically and, and emotionally? Um, and that those, those small things would um, show up in the way that she moves even maybe she would feel less confident about herself, right? She wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to maybe move as freely as she wanted to. So um, we're very, we're not as smart as we actually think we are. We're very much influenced by what we see and hear, even if we don't, can't really verbalize it. Um, those little cues and those little things affect us on a very, very deep level. And I'm going to ask you some uh, questions that may be considered challenging, but I think it's important to have open conversations about these topics that are that are that are so so big, right? You really have to dissect them. So, uh, if somebody who was non-Muslim, a woman, wanted to come train at your gym, would they be welcome to join your gym? A hundred percent. And that's, I think, uh, you know, culturally in Islam, it's very important to be extremely inviting and welcoming, and. Um, we do have a lot of uh, non-Muslim members and they love it here because they feel comfortable. They love the privacy. They love the professionalism. They love the, 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 the community feel. 
Absolutely. And uh, let's say that somebody who's a non-Muslim woman comes and joins your gym and is training with you, and she has no issues, you know, wearing a little bit less clothing in the gym because of her comfort and what have you. How do you navigate that situation, given the culture in your gym, you know, where it's modesty, you know, we don't want to be too exposed, just to make sure everybody's, you know, on the same page, and we're all, you know, feeling the same way. How do you deal with that situation? Mm-hmm. So it's not like we need to, to, to all dress in, in sweaters and long pants, the only we can wear, you can wear shorts, you can wear a tank top if you want. But the only thing that I think is inappropriate is to work out in a sports bra um, mm-hmm. because your stomach is exposed and all girls are tremendously insecure about their stomachs. Absolutely. So that's really the only thing. I don't really predict a girl would come in here and want to be like, oh, I want to wear a sports bra. Um, but if she did, I would I would um, I would give her a T-shirt. I really would. And I would just tell that, explain to her why. <laughs> And I appreciate that you said that. And I say this because I know there's going to be so many listeners who are like, oh my God, I can't believe these two. But I think it's important to say that if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. Not every one of us has to be on the same boat. We don't have to agree on the same customs or the same way to live, right? This is your niche you've carved out. This is your way you want the gym to operate with your culture. And it's so good that you have defined it because so many people are ambiguous and that's what leads to a lot of these gyms closing down. Gyms that should be open. You know, a gym for women is a very important thing. I have yeah. two daughters in the future. They're going to go to the gym 100% with their daddy and without. And I want them to have yeah. a place to go and, and feel secure and comfortable, whatever their level of comfort is. So I, I think it's so important you stood that ground. Uh, because when I ask most people this question, you get a lot of people kind of wavering. And that tips me off right away that their mission isn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. And I always believe that if the coach's mission isn't strong enough, they need to investigate why. And, and work on that because they're the leader. If they don't lead a particular way, mm-hmm. the rest of the structure falls apart. And these gyms that are so vital, as we're finding out in the last year and a half of this pandemic, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people are suffering now from mental health, uh, you know, declining mental health, physical conditions, because they're not able to go to the, those safe places, mm-hmm. those, those comfortable places for them yeah. and be part of that community. Another thing, MTS, is that People, we all need to remember that this industry is like a baby. It's very new. No one knows what they're doing. We're all trying something new, actually. Yes, um, you know, it, it kind of came from, I think, bodybuilding originally. I think that's where the, you know, gym culture kind of came from. But that only started like 30, 40 years ago. Look at other professions, doctors and engineers and other sort of industries, careers have been around for a very, very long time. but you know, in terms of fitness, it's, it's very new. So, um, I think that why not try something different and, 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 um, you can't, I mean, there's no right or wrong path right now. It's, we're all just trying something new. Uh, Absolutely. That's something that I actually personally did when, uh, when I wanted to try out a, a different way to exercise or work out. I actually, you know, the, all these gyms have like a two-week trial period and whatnot. So during my winter breaks, I would take two weeks at this gym, the next two at the next one, and just to get a sense of the culture. And I was able to understand by going to these different places that have different cultures, that what do I gravitate to? Where do I do my best work? What attracts me? And I was able to define that for myself, but only because I stepped out of my gym and I said, okay, I want to go see the other gyms now. I want to experience their culture no matter what. And that's such an important point. And I bring this up because your gym, I I think, my personal opinion uh, and professional opinion is it really should be known 
more than it is now because we need these gyms. We need these special niche gyms where people who are looking for that privacy, who are looking for that sense of community that you have built can go to. Mm -hmm. Every time I step into a good life or, and, and I used to work at all the good lives too. That's how I came up in the industry, right? Got the certification yeah. over the weekend, yeah. go work in the good life on Monday and <laughs> uh, do the sales thing. So I know completely where you're coming from. It yeah. was so sleazy. I hated that experience altogether, but you know, I cut my teeth there. And every time I step into a good life or, or I go to you know, these, these commercial gyms, it's such a shock to me because I'm so used to the smaller, you know, gyms with actual culture, defined cultures in them. Yeah. That when I go there, it's all about sales. It feels cold almost. They actually train you to be like that. I they give you scripts and they they train you to um, make people feel pressured into buying these very mm -hmm. expensive programs when really they were just like I, I just um, I make like you know a hundred bucks every two weeks, like these people aren't, aren't affluent people, you know? Right. Like I remember when this, uh, this strategy was horrible was to first make them trust you. Okay. Make them trust you. Let them tell you about all their vulnerabilities. Let them tell you about how they want to be a good mom. Okay. And all the, their insecurities about who they are and how they're not good enough. Okay. Gather that information. Then you give them this personal training package and you expect them to, to drop 10 grand right there. Okay. And then you say, didn't you tell me you wanted to be a good mom? Didn't you tell oh, me man. that your kids are important to you? So if you're not going to take care of yourself, how do you expect to be a good mom? You know, this it's <laughs> so evil. It's incredible. It's unethical and it's disgusting. It's horrible. <laughs> You took me. You took me right back to that training that they give you in these commercial gyms. And I, I remember they said, uh, you know, price objection was something that I always struggled with back then. You right. know, if somebody said no, that's too expensive. I'd get stuck there. So my coaching from my managers at that time was, okay, if they object to this price, why don't you show them price per week or price per day instead of price per month or year? And I'm like, wait, it's the same amount. Like it doesn't make any sense. But they're like, no, no, no. The psychology is people see the smaller number and they don't don't think it's a big deal anymore, and they're more likely to go for it. And I remember thinking that just it, it's so unethical that makes zero sense you're you're putting this person in the same financial situation you would when you told them about the monthly or annual price of this thing mm -hmm. which is usually in the thousands of dollars yeah for what like what do you gain out of it just money you're not giving this person what they came for in the first place you're just getting their money mm -hmm. well i think in that regard like it it kind of depends like what exactly you're or how you're pitching to them or what you're selling them. And sometimes you do need to um, break things down for them. Um, like I wouldn't do a yearly show them mm -hmm. you know, what it costs yearly in bulk. I would, I would definitely break it down monthly, but um, I wouldn't play on their vulnerabilities like the way um, most people are, are, are taught to do. Uh, it's incredible that they actually teach these things and I've gone through it myself so I can I can completely vouch that this is what they do it's part of the sales training and it's it's not right and it needs to change in the industry uh, I think there is a change coming in the industry I've heard rumors that um, they're they're thinking about regulating the fitness industry instead of just letting you get a certification over the weekend like you can and and become quote unquote a coach yeah. or on Instagram it's like <laughs> just put a picture up and you're a coach yeah instant coach. So I hope that regulation does come because for that'll weed out the people who are just in for the money and going the shortcut 
route. It'll keep the people on who do the hard work. I Before we go, I definitely want to touch on, you know, your personal growth as a coach. So okay. we, we know your history kind of coming up, but as a coach, how do you stay relevant? How do you stay up to date? What's your way of growing as a coach? Okay. So I definitely, uh, when I opened this gym, I actually stopped calling myself a coach because I didn't expect to be coaching as much. I wanted to be um, someone who's more directing, mm-hmm. um, but I still am a coach. I still am. And what I do is I make sure that every year I am learning something new. I make sure that I put myself through a new certification, that I'm studying something new, that I'm trying something new. I'm reading articles. I'm educating myself. Um, I'm writing articles. I'm writing essays. So it's really important because as a coach, you don't, you are your own boss. Um, a lot of the time. And um, it's really important that you keep up to date and you make sure that, you know, you prioritize your own education. And I I found that, you know, if I compare myself to the coach that I was, say, two and a half, three years ago, Mm -hmm. even a year ago, I'd kick my ass. Like there's no comparison because that self-education, that continuing self-education is so critical. Mm -hmm. What we see now is people get that piece of paper by doing that weekend certification. I'm not going to name it, but it's pretty popular. You get that piece of paper and, oh, hey, I'm a coach. And that's it. Then they do the CECs by taking part in some activities and some seminars that don't really advance their knowledge to the degree that it should. And unfortunately, it's a double sword, right? Because not only is that stalling that coach's growth, so they can't provide the service to the client, it's also going to diminish their motivation to keep staying in this industry. Because who knows? You know, I got my start at commercial gyms, that weekend certification. I'm sure you've experienced that as well, like you said. But we end up finding our path after we go through all the nonsense and BS, right? We end up finding our path for those of us who want to. So who knows how many great coaches we lose just because, you know, they don't get the opportunity or they don't know how to develop further in a, in a substantial way. The CECs and the little weekend seminar is just not enough, in my opinion, because I've done that. And I'm like, what did I learn out of it? And you know what? Like, no one even cares about what you, Mm -hmm. no one truly cares. It's really just for you. Like, my clients don't give two shits about, sorry, about my certification and my education. They want me to help them. They want me to listen to them. And um, I wish there was another thing that coaches did, which was um, self-reflect and, um, and really work on their soft skills, right? The softer skills, how to speak to people, how to understand, listen to their needs. What do they really want? Because there's too many, you know, and I, I, I did this too at the beginning. I didn't care about what they wanted. I was like, you're doing 100 burpees right now because you told me you want to lose weight. So I'm going to crush you, right? <laughs> and um, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't leading with, from an empathic um, point of view. And I think we, we really need to lead from an empathic point of view, but before we do that, it's going to sound a little hippie like, but we really need to self-reflect and, and like give that to ourselves. What did we want from a coach? What is the, what, what unmet needs did we have? Right. Like I want to be what I wanted, what I needed when I was growing up. Absolutely. And I agree because, you know, that's one of the reasons I still today, I still uh, on a regular interval will get a coach for myself. Like I know the science, I've studied this all through university. I know all the technical stuff. I have all the Mm -hmm. certifications, but 
over my entire experience, 14 plus years in this industry, I've seen that it's not the certifications or the technical knowledge that makes you a coach. It's like you said, understanding how to work with people, being empathetic, understanding like, okay, this is a person you're working with. How do I communicate with them? How do I understand what they really want, right? And, uh, you know, I always make sure every single year, somewhere, somehow, in some capacity, whether it's psychology, technical skill, people skills, I, I get a coach. I find a coach and get them to mentor me for a bit just for that extra bit of growth. And I don't see that in this industry. Like, to my, to my utter dismay, I've seen people who I have helped get started in the fitness world, right? I've, I've gotten them, you know, they trained with me for a little bit. Then I see them become coaches and I'm super proud, like, all right, yes, join the field, you know, help people out. Yeah. And then you see them going right to Instagram. It's like, okay, clothes <laughs> start coming off. And I'm like, why, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Right. And I can predict yeah. now, okay, give it five posts and the clothes are going to come off. It's, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah. like clockwork. And it's so yeah. sad because they don't have another reference point. So it's not necessarily their fault. They just, that's what they see. So I think the responsibility is so huge on coaches like yourself to spread the message. Yeah. And you know what, being like that and being, taking your clothes off and that it gets you so much attention. So they totally forget about doing the other hard work because they think, Oh, this is working. I don't need to work on myself. I don't need to do any more deep work. Um, so it's really a disservice to everybody. Truly. But I I am really hopeful and positive. I think the industry I think it is changing. I do see a lot more um, like smaller type gyms come up with more of a, I guess, communal feel and a lot more programming and, you know, the uh, mental health crisis that our society is in right now. Um, Everyone's talking about how the gym closures and the lack of physical activity has just really wreaked havoc on people's health. So I think we're going to get it soon, hopefully. And I agree, I, you know, the fact that, you know, your gyms here today, I have several in my local area that have popped up over the last, say, four years. Uh, it's a testament that we are starting to change the tide. And it's the responsibility of people like myself who are interested in having this kind of information uh, on on a podcast to put it out there. Like, I, that's why I do it. Like, I have no concept of how to do a podcast up until like last week. <laughs> like, I planned for this, but I never, I, I, I never did it. And I said, you know what? No, it's my responsibility. And that's why I reached out and I said, listen, like, I'd, I'd love to have you as a guest because uh, it's so important that your voices be heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I want to ask you a little bit, this last year and a half or so has been so difficult for so many people, yeah. right? Businesses, uh, gyms have been hit yeah. pretty hard. How yeah. did you guys navigate that? Yeah. Like the thing is I never have complained once, but obviously we have been hit hard as well, but I'm someone who's come from like nothing. So, you know, having no money is not something that scares me. (laughs) If this gym, um, closed down, it would hurt. Yeah. I'd be sad, but I'd move on. I I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people of color and people have come from, um, poverty and, really tough backgrounds are resilient and can kind of, you know, just, um, I guess bear it. And even if it does, if it did close down, like I said, Oh, well, I'm still alive. I'm, I'm still, there's other things (laughs) I'm going to pick myself up and, and keep going. That's a fantastic attitude to have. And, and that's rare from a gym owner. <laughs> a lot of the gym owners I I've know have struggled and they've panicked. I never once, I see a lot of gym owners on Instagram, you know, what was me? What was me? Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, 
Like how many times can you say that? Like, it's not going to change. You got to accept this is the way it is right now. It sucks for everybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just have, I, I, my faith really keeps me grounded. I know that, you know, um, it's part of God's plan. Um, God's protecting me. Um, there's a reason for everything and I'm only going to come out stronger just with any other, any sort of adversity that, you know, that we face. And lastly, just one, one, uh, comment about being a person of faith. I think that's also going out of style. Like I, someone asked me, I was doing a, a talk for another group and they said like, how, who's your, who do you rely on? I said, I rely on God. And everyone was looking at me like I was freaking crazy, <laughs> you know? But if you're a person of faith and you believe in God, then, you know, say it and be grateful for God, you know, because I, I, if that's something, belief is so important. If you don't believe, is another crazy hippie thing, a believe, achieve, conceive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yep, uh, nope. It's it's very important um, to to have some sort of faith, even if you don't believe in God. Uh, I, I really think you need to have some sort of belief or faith in something. I I keep coming back to that saying that if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything, right? Like it, it it's so important. Like even even for people out there who are perhaps doing what you're doing but their faith is that there is no god to the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. that's fine but at least have a belief of some sort yes, you've got to believe probably. in something exactly <laughs> yeah. you got to stand for something it's yeah. uh, this this pc environment and industry and life where we have now which is you can't say this cancel culture uh you know oh, oh religion right. oh we're not going to touch wild. that you know what one thing is that people assume that i'm this super left-leaning person because I have this holistic, you know, um, gym. I am not, I'm a libertarian. I'm like in the center, I'm more central. Like I don't, I don't believe in this. Uh, you know, if we want to have a democracy, we got to let people, you know, express themselves freely. Right. And if you don't like, don't pay attention to them, you know, just because some hurts your feelings doesn't mean that they can't exist. And that's the problem, right? The tolerance is not there. People think if you're not with me, you shouldn't be here, period. Right? And I hope that we were, we're able to change that. And I, I cannot wait to have you back for another episode at some point to talk more technical details because I really wanted today to be about, okay, who are you? What is Sister Fit? What are your beliefs on fitness? Let's introduce you to the world because, like I said, one of my missions is I don't want to just talk about my experiences and what I bring to the table. I want to introduce people to my audience and anybody listening mm-hmm. who are beneficial, who I think are very beneficial, who offer a point of view that they can benefit from. So I appreciate the fact that you know, you, you took this opportunity and jumped on the call with me. I, I do. Uh, and I hope that we can do this again and talk more technical details next time. Yeah, and give, was, give people some action points. Time just flew by. Thanks so much for having me and letting me go on my rants. So it was, it was really fun. Really great catching up with you. Wish all the oh, it's been so many years. Can't wait to listen to your other episodes. You know, I, I still remember when you were showing me the the I think the Kali or the Arnis uh, patterns. Yeah. Back at Warrior, you remember? <laughs> I still remember that. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember doing that like, in the old That's gym, great. the very first one. That was pretty great. Uh, before I let you go, um, can you please let my listeners know where can they connect with you? Where can they find you? Where can they find Sister Fit? Awesome. So you can follow us online at Sister Fit To. Um, our website is sisterfitto.com. We're in uh, Scarborough, 
um, Ellesmere and Lawrence area and uh, would love if you got in touch anytime. Awesome. Fatima, thank you so much for being here today. And I hope we see each other very soon. Me too. Thanks again, NPS. Take care. Take Bye. Bye. And that's it for this episode of the Special Strength Fitness Podcast. I want to thank you for sticking around and listening to the whole podcast. I hope you got a lot of value out of that. I took a lot out of this uh, conversation with FLG, and I understood that there are more than one or two ways to look at fitness. You have to understand everybody has a different outlook and perspective and approach to fitness. And you need to accommodate as much as you can because everybody has something to contribute. Yes, everybody, even the people on Instagram who are fitness influencers, they'll teach you a good lesson or two about what not to do in fitness. So keeping that open mind, thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate the time you've given me and I hope you've gotten something great in return. And until next time we meet, take care of yourself. Stay strong, be kind to one another, and I'll see you then.